going to learn a lot. It's going to be incredible. So we finally get to the auditorium. We actually sit, we were those people that sat in the front row with our notepads out, ready to learn what this man has to say. Finally, he was a little bit late, took that, you know, late entrance. He slowly walked up to his podium without saying a word, and we're all anticipating what he's going to say. He reaches into his coat pocket, and this is a Christian conference, Christian leadership conference, reaches into his coat pocket and grabs a pack of cigarettes. And we're like, what? What is he doing? Mind you, I was in college. My friends, uh, you know, we were really confused. Internally, we were each and every one of us was judging him, obviously. Uh, And we're like, what is he doing? And he slowly starts to take out a single cigarette. And then he brings out his lighter. And he starts smoking that cigarette at this Christian conference full of Christians. What was he doing? And again, we're so confused, and he put the cigarette out. He wasn't a smoker, by the way. Uh, after he was done coughing, he said this. He says, right now, he said, right now, all of you are judging me. You care more about the fact that I'm smoking a cigarette in this auditorium than the fact that there are thousands of people, children, women, and men that are sleeping on the streets tonight. And at that moment, I felt like he was speaking directly to me. See, something happened that afternoon. At that moment, this speaker, he forced me to wrestle with what it looked like to actually be a follower of Jesus. What does that actually look, look like? And his point was this, that many of us, including myself, I'll be the first one to confess, uh, we developed this notion that, that this Christian faith that we understand it is all about our personal devotion with Jesus. It's all about this vertical relationship with Jesus. Now, now stay with me here. Uh, that Here's what I mean, that as long as we have our morning devotionals, uh, earlier the holier, right? Uh, as long as we pray, as long as we read all the right scriptures, as long as we have perfect church attendance, uh, as long as we don't drink, as long as we don't swear, then we would be finally in right relationship with God. I already know some of us would be in trouble. Uh, but we understand that as long as we do those things, then finally we will be in perfect relationship with God. But I would say that that vertical relationship that we have, that pursuit, is only half the picture of what Jesus intended when he asked for us to follow him. Now, no, 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 now don't get me wrong now. Uh, when I say these, th- now these personal disciplines, these personal practices that we do in order to understand and know God better uh, are great. In fact, they are necessary. And I'm not saying for any of us to stop doing that. What I'm saying is, it's not a holistic understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because to be part of this Christian walk, this Christian faith, it includes this vertical relationship that we have, which is with God, but it also includes this horizontal relationship that we have with people. 
And not just with people that we know, our friends, our family, but for the whole world, for the people that we don't even know, God calls us to live out our faith, even with them. That the fact that we have these personal devotions, that we have this vertical worship, doesn't just stop there. It actually compels us to live differently. That implicates the people around us. And so the very question of what that means is the very question of justice. And we'll get into why, but we'll talk about this whole idea of justice, and we'll go through this series that we've been going through, is that there's idea of justice uh, through creation, and then there's a disruption. We find hope, and there's a culmination. And so first we'll look at creation, uh, as, it, as it has to do with justice. In Genesis 1.1, it says this, very simple. It says the very first verse, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this isn't just a statement about what God did. This is not just a statement of what God did, but it's a declaration of who God is. See, God, in this simple sentence, is telling us that he is a creator of all things. He's created the entire universe, everything under the sun. And after God finishes his masterpiece of creation, he says, it is good. Not only that, he says, it is very good. Everything is the way it was supposed to be. God, humanity, all of creation, they're at peace, they live in harmony. There's a deep connectedness within those three. In each and every one of us, God, humanity, the creation, the environment are flourishing. In everything, when it, when it says, uh, and it was very good, what the Bible is saying was, everything at that moment was just right. Everything was just right. And believe it or not, we've experienced these moments ourselves, you and I. Uh, maybe not often, but we see glimpses of these in our, entire, in our lives. You know, have you ever sat down and you just took a deep breath and you looked around and for some reason you just thought to yourself, everything is just good right now. Everything is just right. Or when you're having one of those moments when you feel just a little extra connected to your spouse, your, your best friend, your children, or whatever family member that might be around you, you sit down, and when you feel that little bit of extra connectedness at that moment, again, you sit back and you say, everything is just right. Or when you see your kids play outside, and they're laughing and playing and have a good time, and you're just kind of looking through the window, and you just kind of sit back and you say, ah, Hmm. everything, again, is just right. See, now, oftentimes, these just right feelings are unexplainable. We don't know why it happens, how it happens, but I would submit to you this, that these little uh, moments are glimpses of heaven breaking in to earth. It's what God created from the very beginning of time, from the very beginning of creation, when God says, uh, God, I've created the heavens and the earth. Everything was perfect. And when we have these moments of, ah, things just feel right, 
That is a glimpse of what creation, what this world, what our life is supposed to be. But we later we see that because of sin, because of our disobedience through Adam and Eve, through the first humans, uh, through sins invading the world, these perfect moments, again, are just mere moments because it's intertwined with brokenness. And it's this brokenness that we call injustice. See, when things are right, when things are the way that God created it to be, things are good, things are just. We see justice happening. But when there's a disruption in that, when there's a brokenness in that, we call that antithetical to that. We call it an injustice. See, this word justice in the Hebrew is this word mishpat. And in the basic definition, according to uh, Bible scholars and even this pastor named Tim Keller, who we love and adore here at Bethany, uh, his definition of mishpat particularly says this, it's giving people what they are due. So justice in this text that we read this morning is about giving people what they are due because it's right, because it's fair, and because it's good. And anytime people don't have that, then there's a brokenness, there's an injustice that we experience. And an easy way for us to kind of get a better picture of this is asking this question. And I want us to all sometime this week ask this question even to ourselves and to each other. The question is this, what are things that I am entitled to as a human being? What are those very things I am entitled to as a human being? And if one, or, 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 and if somebody doesn't have access to whatever that is or is denied of that, that's an injustice. What is it that we are entitled to as human beings? And whatever the answer to that is, if somebody doesn't have that, whether you know them or not, that is an injustice. And God cares about that. God calls us to do something about that. Where there's brokenness, God wants to make it right. When there's pain, when there's things antithetical to God's creation, God wants to make that right. God wants to create more and more of those everything is just right kind of moments. So what that means is that as every person here who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we must, it's not just a good idea, we must confront ourselves with the text that we just read this morning in Micah. See, Micah 6.8 alone uh, is pretty well known. You know, if you've been around the church for a while, we've, we've heard these verses uh, frequently when it comes to justice. <clears throat> but, I want, <clears throat> but what I want us to do is read even the few verses before Micah 6.8. So I'm going to start. I'm just going to read it to you. I'm going to read Micah 6.6 6, uh, and 7. Uh, these Israelites are wondering, they're asking God, what does it mean to be true followers of Yahweh, of God? And they're wrestling with this within themselves and their own community. It says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be, be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn uh, for my transgressions? 
the fruit of my own body for the sin of my soul. Should I do all these things? Should I give all these things? Should I have all these devotions? Should I give all these sacrifices, all these burnt offerings? And the answer is in 8. says, wait, wait, hold on. You kind of missed the point here because here's the answer. The answer is, he's told you, oh, mortal. I use the NRSV. It might be different. What is good? So I'll tell you what is good. It says, here's what the Lord requires. Here's what the Lord re- requires. And you know what this word require is in Hebrew, how that translates? Requires. It means requires. Here's what the Lord requires for us to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. <clears throat> That's what God has called us to do. And, and, and a lot of scholars, again, I, I quote N.T. Wright all the time. He says the entire Bible is about how God made everything perfect and good. Then it's about how things get messed up all the time. And, and then it's about God choosing us to enter into that story to be God's catalyst, to be God's hands and feet, to bring justice to the places that are unjust, that are broken. And this is where we get to disruption. Here's what I want to say. For too long, we as Christians, we have verse 6 and 7 down pat. We know all the right things to do. We all know all the right things to say. We know the, the church and, and, and all these, you know, where your Christian t-shirts and your Jesus fish on your car. Uh, but what we miss is Micah 6, verse 8. Now, again, please hear me when I say this. Reading your Bible matters. Praying matters. Tithing matters. What kind of words that come out of your mouth matters. Going to church matters. What you do in your private life matters. And these actions should cause us to think about how we relate, not just with God, but with others and with the other. See, this idea of justice, this idea of mishpat, is intertwined in Micah 6, 8 of this word kindness or, or mercy. You must love kindness or you love mercy. It's this word hesed. It's very untranslatable in English, but ultimately it means this love for the other person, this love for your neighbor, the same kind of unconditional and loyal love that God has for us. And so those two always goes together. That because God calls us to love, have this hesed, this kindness, this mercy for others, out of that, we do something with it. We do justice. Justice is always tied with doing something for our neighbors, for others. Because when it breaks God's heart to see injustice, it should break ours. When thousands of people are homeless in our own neighborhood, that should break us. When people are marginalized based on the color of their skin, that should break us. When people are without access to to clean water and basic food, that should break us. When people don't have adequate shelter, again, or or, or, uh, adequate income, that should break us. 
when there's discrimination against people because of their gender, that should break us. When people are dying of preventable and easy, easily treated illnesses, that should break us. When there's children and students that are without love and care of adults, that should break us. These are the things that God wants us to lose sleep over. The problem is that we've been so preoccupied with our vertical relationship that we neglect the horizontal and we miss out on what God calls us to be as individuals and as the church. See, I want to take us to Matthew 23, uh, 23 to 24, and you don't have to go there. Let me, just, let me just say this. Let me just read it to you. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. So sometimes Jesus didn't have all the tact in the world. Uh, so he just says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Let me just say that again. You do all these right things, all the tithes, all the offerings, but you have neglected the, most imp- or, or neglected the more important matters of the law. And it's this, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Some of the exact words that we read in Micah 6, 8. And then it says, you should have practiced the latter, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former. And then it says, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Now this is cumin. I had to borrow this from the Odell household because I have no idea what it's used for. Uh, But it's a spice. Okay? And, and, and the, this is ground spice, but what cumin looks like is it's little grains. And, and these ancient Pharisees were so meticulous about tithing tenth of all they had, including their spices, they would have their thing of cumin, whatever that is, and they would pour out just a little bit, then they would probably look at it and say, well, that's, oh, that's about an eighth. Well, wait, hold on. Let me just give it a little bit more. Well, that's about, oh, that's too much. I'll take it back. And, and they spent so much time and so much focus on splitting up the cumin, a tenth of it, that they just completely forgot what is actually right, what is actually better according to Jesus, to pursue justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You've missed the point. You're so obsessed with this vertical that we forget about the horizontal. And then he says at the very end uh, that you blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Here's what this means. Whenever they drank, poured a glass of wine, none of you guys know what that looks like, right? Whenever they poured a glass of wine, they had a strainer. And they would strain the wine into the strainer and into the cup. And they did that very carefully every time they drank wine because they were afraid that it would be, uh, uh, that they would ac- accidentally, uh, a gnat would go in to their wine. And so they had to make sure that they were not going to drink or eat, consume that gnat. Why? Because that's disgusting, right? Like, who wants to drink a gnat? But there's more than that. That gnats were considered unkosher. So if they even accidentally ate a gnat, they would be considered uh, ceremonially unclean, impure. 
And so they would spend so much time doing that. But then Jesus said, you do that, sure, but you're the kind of people that would strain a gnat, but I bet you would eat an entire camel. I mean, this is the punchline here, that gnats are unkosher, non-kosher, but so were camels. Camels were also considered non-kosher. Camels were also impure. Camels also made you unclean. And so what Jesus was doing in Jesus' fashion was calling them out and saying, you hypocrites, the things that you do is very hypocritical. You do one thing and you do it well, sure, but if you do it without this, then you're missing the entire point. Jesus calls them a hypocrite. See, too often we care about the knowledge of God. And that's important. That's why I spend a lot of time preparing sermons. That's why there's church. That's why there's Christian colleges and seminaries and all that. There's nothing wrong with that. But it needs to compel you to live differently. When I was pastoring right before here at the Green Lake location, <coughs> I would meet a lot of transplants. Uh, and I would often ask, so what brings you to, the, to Bethany? Why did you switch churches? Uh, and more often than not, they would say this. They would say, uh, at my last church, I didn't feel like I was being fed enough. It's kind of Christian lingo, for those of you uh, that don't know. It just means, I don't think I learned enough. I don't think I got enough out of the sermons. I wasn't fed. That's kind of the Christianese. And, and to me, I, I'm flattered. They, they believe that Bethany is a place where they can learn. There's also a little bit of a red flag that pops up in my mind. Because what do you mean by... It's just, I just wasn't fed enough. Because here's the problem with the Christian church today is that we're always looking to be fed and fed and fed. And we become what I would call spiritually obese. Because we're so often fed and fed, we don't exercise what we learned. And so all we do is we take it in, take it in, take it in, and it just sits in us and we become spiritually obese and we need to exercise what we've learned and what we take in, not only from church, but from wherever we study God. Now, here's the hope. There's beauty uh, because there's hope in pursuit of justice. And I'll say this quickly in, in three ways. First, justice, when we pursue justice, uh, do, when we do it, it knits our hearts closer with God's. When we do justice, something special happens between our relationship with God. It knits us closer. <clears throat> because justice to God is not just an agenda. It's who God is. It's who God is. And the truth is, we will never, ever know the heart of God until we know what breaks it. We will never know the heart of God until we know what breaks it. And we sing about this all the time. We know this. When, uh, there's a famous popular song by, by Hillsong United. There's, it's one of my favorite lines of all times. It's kind of old. It's an oldie, but it's a goodie. Uh, but it says this. It says, break my heart for what breaks yours. For everything I am, your, king, uh, for everything I am, your kingdom's cause. That's the line. We sing that, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. Because we know that when we know what God breaks God's heart, 
when we're in tune with what breaks God's heart, we are in tune with God. Second, when we do justice, listen to this, when we do justice, justice does something to us. When we do justice, justice does something to us. Now, I remember back when I was a youth pastor in my former life, I would take students to Mexico on our, you know, quintessential youth mission trip to Mexico. Uh, and before our Mexico trip, we'd always do this planning and, and, and training. Uh, and, and students have this mentality, even their families, saying, we're going to go into Mexico as these Americans, and we're going to save them. We're going to be their saved. We're going to build this house. We're, you know, they're going to love us. We're going to teach them about God. And when we leave, they're going to be so thankful because we've done such a good work. Uh, and in my mind, I know that's not going to happen. In fact, the opposite. And so we go there, we're working, we see how people are living, uh, and we see how gracious they are to us. We build relationships. We're doing justice uh, through the context of relationship. Remember, Mishpat and Hased, both are happening. We go back home, and all of a sudden, they're changed within themselves. Not is it about them changing other people's lives. They talk about mostly how their own lives were changed. Even tangibly, now they're more, they, they're more gracious, they have more gratitude, they're more thankful for what they have, they're more humble in what they own, they're more willing to help around the house, they're more willing to say, I'm sorry, they come with a sense of humility, and the next week, this happens all the time, the parents will come up to him and say, what have you done with my son? You have brought home a different son. Because what happened is, when they pursued justice, Mishpat, with Hesed, justice did something to them. And justice does something to us. And finally, when we pursue justice, this is, in essence, a pursuit of Jesus. This is worship. When we pursue justice, it is worship. And I want to read this really fast because a lot of us are familiar with this text in Matthew 25. It says, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or when were you thirsty? When did we give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger? When did we invite you in? When did you need clothes? And when did we clothe you? When, uh, when did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you, Lord? We never did that. That was my answer. The king will reply, truly I will tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of my brothers and sisters... You did for me. Justice is not an act of charity. Justice is an act of worship. And when we have this mentality, justice, to do good where there's brokenness, it becomes visceral. People, whether you know them or not, are no longer strangers, but they're actually our brothers and sisters that need to be created equally and lovingly and generously because all of us, including the ones we don't know, are image bearers of the Creator. We are all image bearers of the Creator. Therefore, justice needs to be done to and with and among all of us equally. 
And we come to a place, a profound place, where we can truly say, even to the stranger, the widow, the orphan, those that are marginalized, that your joy is my joy, your pain is my pain. Can we say that? And here's the culmination, here's the promise, is that one day all will be right again, just like it was at the garden, just like the beginning of time where the, these moments of everything just feels right is actually no longer moments, but it's eternity. But until then, we hold fast to the work of Jesus on the cross. He was born into a real world, into a real time. He died a real physical death, uh, and he really rose again and ascended into heaven. We believe that as, as followers of Jesus. And until he returns, our calling is to prepare the way of that return of heaven, to be agents of heaven, bringing in glimpse of what forever will look like at Christ's return. To bring heaven here on earth, believing that one day soon, Jesus will complete it with his return, with his arrival. And on that day when Jesus returns, he will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain. Because all the world will be just. There will no longer be justice. <clears throat> and the question is this, where do I start with being that catalyst? It's so daunting, isn't it? How do I change the world? But let me just tell you this, God doesn't always expect us to, expect us to change the world. God expects us to change our world. God doesn't always expect us to change the world. God expects us to change our world. And Bill Hybels, a pastor who I admire from Chicago, uh, says a great starting point for this. Where should I start? Well, start with this. He says, find your Popeye moment. Uh, some of you guys might remember this cartoon name called Popeye, who was this guy who was a sailor. He could put up with a lot. You know, he puts up with a lot. There's one thing that Popeye could not put up with. Do you know what that was? You never mess with his love interest. You never mess with olive oil. Because yeah, any time that happens, he would break out his thing of spinach, he would eat it, his biceps would turn huge, and he would get strong, and he would say this every single time. He would say, that's all I can stand. I can stand no more. When he saw injustice with olive oil, he says, that's all I can stand. I can stand no more. Bill Hybels would call this your holy discontent. Your holy discontent. What makes you angry? What makes you lose sleep overnight? What is it that you can't stand no more? And the answer to that could be a clue to where we need to pursue justice in. Frederick Beekner says that we're called to do this. Our calling is where our, or where your, myself included, where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. What in your world breaks your heart. 
Again, is it when we see people that are homeless? There's something that you can do. You, you can do something about that in your world. I can even point you to organizations. Bethany even has a homeless shelter that you can get involved with. If that breaks your heart, do something. Is it human trafficking? Again, we are connected with organizations that work with human trafficking. If that breaks your heart, do something. Is it seeing young people, again, not experience the love of God and love of adults? Hey, you can get involved right here uh, with a children's ministry. You can get involved with Young Life, who, have a, who we have a partnership with, or our youth. Just kind of a side note, at my last church, I was volunteering in the elementary room. And, and at the end of it, <coughs> this little boy uh, was crying. I think he was like in third grade. He was crying because he had to leave. And I thought to myself, man, I didn't know I was that awesome. Uh, and the mother took the child to the car. The mother ran back and said, I'm so sorry that my son caused this scene by crying. I said, no, that's okay. I get it. And she says, this, is the one, this, is, this one hour is the best hour of his week. And he said, this is the one time that he does not get bullied. Here at church. If that breaks your heart, as it should, maybe in your world, you can be that loving kindness that has said by doing mishpat with the kids at our church, in our city. I came here one night to, uh, to just meet the people at High Point, not on a Sunday, uh, but to meet with you know, the families. A lot, of the, a lot of them were immigrant and refugee families here at High Point Community Center. And I played basketball with them. And they schooled me. These little elementary and middle schools, they were so good. And it just made me come alive. Because I loved hanging out with these kids. I came here to interact with one another, to receive love from adults. It was such a beautiful place. Or maybe what breaks your heart is racism. We talk about that a lot, and it's a hot topic of this day. I actually lead a racial reconciliation initiative at Bethany as a whole. Come talk to me. We can be a part of that. Because these are real things that are happening in our society, in our culture, in our neighborhood, inside of our churches. If that's something that breaks your heart, let's do something in our world. We may not change the entire world, but right here is a good start. Again, maybe it's gender discrimination. Last, uh, just yesterday, a few of us uh, staff, I would say 100% of our staff, we went to a conference to talk about what it looks like to empower everybody in the church, men and women to be co-laborers for the kingdom. Or maybe it's something in your neighborhood, maybe it's something in the schools, or, or, or maybe if you're a student here, that is something that you do in your classroom throughout lunchtime. I remember this one youth moment, aha moment I have with one of my students. The student came up to me and said, Prentice, Prentice, something awesome happened at, uh, at school today. And I said, what's that? And he said, there's this kid that always sits alone at lunch Week after week, day after day, and finally, I grabbed my lunch, and I sat right next to him, and we started talking, and we got to know each other, and that was so cool. And I thought, you get it. As a 15-year-old who's a, <coughs> who was considered the, a popular kid, who had all the friends in the world, you get it. You get what it means to practice justice. And I'll end with this. During our staff meeting a couple weeks ago, all Bethany's staff, we talked about some hard issues with our, with our politics, 
with certain politicians, with legislation, with whatever it is. It was a private conversation around our staff and how to deal with it and all the pain that has been experienced, especially towards women. Uh, that's what the, that was a topic of conversation during this time. And we allowed all the women just to, just to talk, just talk about their pain and their hurt. Uh, and for the first several minutes, it was just the women talking. And I get this text uh, from someone that was at staff, was sitting across from me, and says, Prentice, you need to say something. You need to be an advocate. <clears throat> and I responded, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's my place. You know, I'm, I'm not a woman. I'm not the one that necessarily felt that hurt and this pain. So, uh, so I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to let the women to, to speak. And I'm just going to listen like I think I should. Uh, and she texted me and said, that's BS. And actually spelled it out. That's BS. Uh, does this bother you? And I said, responded, well, of course it does. I'm ticked off right now. Of course it bothers me. And then she said, if it bothers you, you need to say something. And that was such a conviction. And I raised my hand and we entered into a, a further dialogue. And that's what I would convince and that's what I would sway all of us to be. When it comes to justice, out of hesed, out of that loving kindness or mercy, that if it bothers you, we need to do something. Maybe not to change the entire world, but to t- change the world that you are in. And as a church, we want to help you do that. We want to be a resource for you. I want to be a resource for you. Let's do this together. Let's pursue justice. Yes, let's pray. Yes, let's attend church. Yes, let's do all the things that draws us closer with God. But that must bear fruit. That kind of relationship that we see all over the Bible is always, 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 100% of the time tied to our relationship with the other. Let me pray. God, thank you so much that you've called us to to a burden, really, to draw closer to you and to draw closer with our neighbors by seeing where there's brokenness and being an agent of justice that you've called us to bring. So convict us. Show us what breaks our heart so that, way, that, so that way we may move on that. In your name we pray. <coughs> Amen.